Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 24th of May 2021. I sat and watched on Channel 4 last night a program with a farmer who was making very good points, very fair points about his cattle and how a trader with Australia needed to be fair. But the dynamic of the interview made him look like a bloke whinging, trying to stop other people coming in with cheaper product and just keep subsidizing, keep protecting his business. And it was totally, the context of the interview should have been, here's a picture of my cows on a lovely big field with lots and lots of grass and they're frolicking around, and here's my lambs having a nice time. And then Channel 4 should have had some shots of a 50,000 cow lot of beef somewhere in Australia with not a blade of grass in sight and a whole load of corn stroke soya feeding. That is the argument. That is the dynamic. And people are visual. If you're going to be on TV making your case, the journalists are always going to make you look like a whinging farmer. Just if you say, well, you know, it's not fair. We need to make sure it's the same same as us. No one understands that until they see a picture of your cows in a nice field of grass and the picture of the dusty old cow lot with lots and lots of very poorly looking cows. Anyway, that's a funny way to start a market report. Rant over. I think we touch on that in our market chat as well. So, yeah, let's talk about prices of grain. There has been a dramatic turnaround in the prospects for this year's crop to the extent that, I think in the last fortnight, the yield potential has increased by 20%. The price has dropped by 10%. So, from a farmer's perspective, you are still winning in my head anyway. And it's certainly changed our view on what people should be doing. There is a tug of war that occurs between UK market and the world. The world has got issues. There's issues on corn production that we've mentioned previously. And there's issues, you know, that's the biggest crop of all. And the Brazilian crop has without doubt had a terrible time. The US crop is being planted at the moment, is well ahead of schedule. The acreage is, depending on who you listen to, markedly higher than they originally projected. And so maybe an increase in American acres and taking the 179 bushels an acre that they're projecting, they will have more than enough to cover the shortfall of the Brazilian. But, you know, 179 bushels per acre is a pretty steamy high level. So there's lots to play for, and that market has not, you've not seen the last of it. It is going to be haunting us or helping us throughout the next three or four months very actively. In the meantime, the weather has been kind. We're going to have more grain. It may even produce an exportable surplus, which means our place relative to French might just drop back a bit. And our market values has not got anything other than kind of bearish news looming over it. So all the consumers are aware of that. They're sitting back off. And the farmers, the sentiment, the feeling that comes from every individual without talking to anyone. Oh, my crop doesn't look too bad. Oh, actually, there might be a bit more than I thought has created a selling moment. And in the short term, I would expect prices to continue to fall back a bit. So good news. 
we are going to have a decent sized crop. Good news for us poor little storekeepers who didn't fill our stores last year. We might actually get them full. So isn't that great? Price of feed wheat. Old crop, that really has had it. It's sub 200 now. It is under a bit of pressure. July, I still think will be very, very interesting. Come mid-July, waiting for the French boats to turn up. You know, very reliable bunch that they are. As long as it's not around lunchtime, they'll be happy to load their boats. But the point is that I think, you know, there's a moment where it will be very, very difficult to find wheat for sale on farm. I believe that. But at the moment, there's plenty of sellers and the market is coming down. So in round figures, possibly for July, you'd still make 200x, but it's getting very close to not being the case. If you're trying to sell it for June, you'd probably make 197, 96, 97, something like that. Feed barley is still incredibly buoyant on old crop. It just has run out in some places. So you're 182 or 3x. Yeah, if you've got some, wave it in the air and say, here it is. Or if you've got some malting barley that you're trying to get a premium for, the best market I think you've got is feed and no miseries attached. So great news for feed barley at the end. And that has been a big surprise. Old crop, that is as far as we've got to talk because everything else has been traded out. New crop, it's that market that's under pressure. Is November sub 170? Pretty well, it is, yeah. It's about 169x. And is that enough to turn people off? I don't think there's enough selling occurred yet. I think it's going to come down to the mid 60s. So I'm afraid wheat prices, new crop, November are sub 170, which puts harvest somewhere around about. 160x for harvest movement, in our opinion, for quick movement at harvest for feed wheat. Uh, Feed barley has also lost some ground, although that is still pretty buoyant. Prices are in the mid-140s, still a really good price for feed barley. As I say, the prospects for that crop, just the same as the wheat, has improved markedly. The molsters are sitting back and not really inclined to stick an aggressive forward price out. They can see the crop developing nicely, just as everyone else cans i think it's going to be a little cat and mouse period on the barley price but in the end farmers the more yield if you get a big yield you make more money than if there's a big price the big price only occurs you've got a rubbish yield so it should still work in your favor so rejoice at that one oilseed rape is the only thing we haven't talked about so far that price has come off as well some of the crops in our county look fantastic look really good obviously Other parts of the country are not growing it quite so readily anymore and there are still some ropey bits that never got away from the little flea beetle munching away at it. But the price has dropped off and in the short term I think we're going to see further falls on that. The basics or the supply on oils is very, very tight and so that market is never going to be in a situation where it just falls completely through the floor. At the moment harvest rape value as I record is 430 so it has come off probably 35 quid from its absolute peak and it is still pretty choppy waters when you're trying to trade it. Will that market increase in the next week? No I don't think it will. The mood of everything is sort of downbeat and slightly bearish. The world feels like it's going to have an okay harvest. It's rained here, it's rained in the States. All right, Brazil's had a rubbish time, but underlyingly, the crop has got a little bigger across the board. Lots to play for. Anyway, this week's market chat is catching up with the lads on, uh, you know, how the world turns and and how we all feel, and Ben's particular affection for sheep. So um, enjoy that, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours.
The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 or email info at And now it's time for Farm Chat. This week we're going to have a little in-house chat with the crew. So I have with me Ian Webster. Good morning. Ben Shadlehall. Hello. And Joshua Rosenberg. Hello. We are going to talk about the subject we avoided last week because we had an obsession with the May Wheat Futures contract and we are going to talk about the contract, the pricing, the settlement, the aftermath, all of the things that occurred to make what can only be described as a very exciting piece of trading. But we're focusing on that aspect as opposed to some of the fallout that's occurring around it elsewhere. I'm going to start with, it's very rare that you stick your neck out that much that you do Jimi Hendrix impressions and Clint Eastwood. Right, I've had a load of people teasing me and giving me a little bit of like, you are a knobhead. Fair comments. However, I would just like to put on record, I was incredibly right. You were? I'd like to share the fact that we were incredibly right. That's the reality, isn't it? Because we all lived and died that conversation for weeks. It's a pretty gripping market, though. It was fascinating seeing it. Whether we'll see a situation like that again, I don't know. You can take our eyes off the screen half the time. Well, it boiled down to someone couldn't tender and they had to pay up to get out of it. And if you didn't spend your every available moment staring at the screen, you might have missed it. And it literally, we didn't know whether it was trade at 230 or 205. What happened was it kind of capitulated at 214 and we just happened to be watching at that moment, got on and nailed what we needed to do at that precise moment. But thank goodness we did. That was it, wasn't it? It's a big trade, wasn't it, at the time? I think it was a 900-lot clip that just went through in a, in a whack, and then we sort of piggybacked on the back of that bit. Well, we joined in the middle, thankfully. But yeah. then straight after that, lots of people trying to sell it, and no buyers at all. Yeah, then became sort of game over for the contract a little bit, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so from the perspective of we took a risk as a business in stuffing loads of our cheaper May Week contracts into store to make sure we moved them, with a view to spending money on the storage, spending money on the haulage, but being able to sell stuff at a higher price. It was a real risk, wasn't it? That's why we were so relieved we did actually catch the bus. I think that's the point. And what it gave us the opportunity to do was go out and buy as much farm wheat as we possibly could at that time. And now, on the basis of that, we hit everybody we conceivably could think who had wheat, and there isn't any left, or there's very, very little left now. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there really isn't. And actually, if it does come off a bit, it will probably be below the cycle figure of 200, which will be interesting. Well, it's already started slipping back, hasn't it? I mean, the value, and we'll do the market reports, will be recorded just before it gets sent out. But it's going to be probably 195x for June. And the futures on July traded at 199. So in theory, the x fund price should be below or at that price. So it should be sub 200 for July. But in saying that, the premium over the futures also traded at 13 quid in Norfolk. I don't know whether people are taking the July futures to be somewhere obscure and not somewhere popular. So maybe it should be 13 quid. Well, the other thing is we have to keep in mind is that the wheat harvest is going to be late. So that July could be popular. Other than imported, but when does imported become available? Well, it's from about the 15th they're going to be shipped, I'm told. But 
Is the French harvest on time? Anyone know that? No, no idea. Well, we can't talk to France because of Brexit, so... <laughs> well, we could send Josh, but then he'd be in isolation for a month or so, wouldn't he? He'd be stuck in his Bayreuth's office. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Still willing to do a crop tour of France if anyone's willing to pay for it. Yeah, right, a COVID tour. <laughs> anyway, so July, in my opinion, if someone came on and said, right, we need just a 1,000 tonnes of wheat, I haven't got a 1,000 tonnes of really wheat. Really hard to buy. I know where there's two bits we've got to tidy up where we've mm. kind of underwritten it for them. I reckon we could muster 400. We did have a bit of a purge, when we saw the opportunity with what was happening with the tender, we saw it as Absolutely. an opportunity to book S- some S- really good price and potentially some of the contract hires for those guys. It helped us, actually, we had, fortunately not many, but a few farmers that benefited on the back of it. Absolutely. Was good, far- it was a good trade. The farmers good- we traded with, we paid 210 extra July. I bid that last week. We covered that tonnage. We paid that price. Mm-hmm. It was a very strong price against the market, but against what we were doing on the other side and yeah. whack it into future stores, tidy trading for us. Yeah, so it's a self-congratulatory tour, this whole story. But the dynamic of it is it makes us feel like we're kind of vaguely in touch with what we're doing and able to take advantage for our farmers and for us at the time. That's kind of put this year to bed. And then the tail end of this year, ironically, the barley that's left over the bits and pieces that we keep up our sleeve that Ollie always hauls away somewhere just in case (laughs) something goes wrong. Feed barley's gone absolutely mental. Yeah, it has. I never saw that. Of all of them, that's the one I didn't see. Well, it was £45 discount at one point. And we sold barley and bought wheat yesterday a £15 difference. And it was at one time £45. Now, that is incredible. And I have been calling the feed barley to be dying a death, and that's the end of that, yeah. at least yeah. a month and a half ago. Very wrong on that one. Yeah, I mean, it was coupled with the consumer buying interest in the UK and the fact that there's still exports of barley going on. Yeah, which is great. Get the stuff out. Empty the stores. Make everybody short. Let's all so is, is that where the, uh, the lives come from? Is it short covering for vessels? Is that why people are jumping in to buy it? Well, Ipswich has been where we've been selling lots of our stuff to. So, yeah, some into Kings Lynn. I know there's been loads and loads of barley sold, as we all know, out of the country when it was cheap, you know, because it's the best market, and actually people didn't have it covered at all. So I know it's firm. Yeah, well, the West Country's run out, allegedly, so have you got any West Country listeners? Isn't it quite slim in the northeast as well? Yeah. You know, if you treat us right and you listen to our podcast and say the magic code word, we might sell you a load of pristine malting barley we'll call feed, if you like. <laughs> so we have got a diddy bit left. We could all have a trip to Wookie Hole in the West Country. Uh, I don't know. What's Wookie Hole? I don't know, it just always amuses me. What? Whenever you drive down to the West Country, there's always adverts for Wookie Hole. What did you go to the West Country for? <laughs> I was lost. <laughs> Very. <laughs> Have you heard of Wookie Hole? No. It sounds like Star Not, not um, all of the West Countries. Yeah, it's a bit unfair on the West Country. Have you been to the West Country? There's some all right areas around there. Uh, you went to university there, didn't yeah, you? Did, yeah, you did. Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, that's right. There's some nice areas in Norfolk in some bits. Yeah, okay, just checking. <laughs> Don't forget, Joe played rugby in Cornwall as well. Did he? Yeah. I went to Cornwall once. Oh, no. <laughs> right. Now we're disappearing down a hole. Wookie hole. Next thing I want to just bring up is the most dramatic thing since that dramatic thing, the May Futures. The next dramatic thing is the yield turnaround in the last two weeks. Yeah, wow. I went to a farm meeting with Ollie and Farmer last Friday, and Ollie produced a piece of data, which is very unusual. It was a comparison in temperatures and precipitation for the harvest of 1984. For most people, they weren't either born or whatever. But in 1984, I can remember I was 21, 22 years old, and it was my first harvest repping for a company called Kenneth Wilson. And I went onto farms, and they went, Kenneth who? And anyway, no one wanted to know anything. But when it got to harvest, everybody had more wheat than they could 
cope with anyone who'd move it they'd sell it so I was able to pick up a load of tons and the crop had looked completely awful for the entire season until May when it rained like this and it wasn't warm and then it got into June and it finished obviously the weather's got to finish off properly in June July but the potential of this crop has improved by 20 percent the only thing I'd argue is, what about the establishment? What about the autumn? I mean, we didn't have a particularly good autumn. There's a lot of crops that weren't in good nick to begin with. Went for a drive at lunchtime, and some of the winter barley fields, because they were planted at different times, half the fields in here, and the others another couple of weeks behind. And if wheat's anything like that, which it probably will be, I think there are going to be some troubles. Also, I agree, they do look really good. The, Everything looks fantastic. pristinely early drilled is going to be mega. Yeah. Some of them look like as good as you could ever, ever ask for. There are some crops that look a bit dodgy, yes. But light land in a year like this, mm. will perform beyond everyone's wildest mm. dreams. This is where the big difference in tonnage comes. Mm. You listen to the old codge, I'm telling you, this harvest is going to be much, much bigger than we mm. first thought. Light land farms, instead of having two and three quarters, three, three tonnes, mm. will be four. I'm on a WhatsApp group with the Lover Farm Lads. I think several are listening to this, they'll get the reference, but they were sending around pictures of their wheat crops with the marrow emoji, you know, the one which... Obviously, you know what it signifies, but suggesting arousal. That sounds so at that. cool. <laughs> I think Ian's on a WhatsApp group for combine harvester spotting yeah, as well, yeah. isn't he? Actually, I'm on a Facebook group for combine operators. Well, they're all plugging their yields on, aren't they? It's handy market info. Sad, but it's market really info. sad. <laughs> Look, I think Webby just takes his job very seriously, yeah. and we're grateful for that. Yes, his combine watching. Do you wish you were secretly driving the combine? Definitely not. No? No, 100% not. Little, you know, you don't like hum along and... No, no I, I find it fascinating. No, not fascinating in a strong way, but it's so relevant to us if you know what <laughs> crops in the northwest are doing or whatever. What if someone had a really nice new shiny John Deere? That really doesn't interest me. <laughs> I thought you quite liked that Massey Ferguson that was metallic grey. You kept looking at that on the cover of Farmers Weekly once. To be fair, that actually did look quite cool. Oh, I'd probably go on just because it looks like that. But what's that, Webby? That must be the XT200. <laughs> I have no idea. It doesn't, really doesn't do it for me. Combine fetish over. So the yield, we're looking at a market that's £15 off the top, or £19 off the top, actually, which is a 10% drop in price. But as I said to a farmer this morning, 10% drop in price, 20% increase in yield, you're winning. The reason it's down is because of a greater yield. So yes, now you do need to do some selling. That is something we have pressed the button on. Despite that underlying corn story that we've talked about, you cannot ignore what's in front of your eyes and you have a view on something until something changes your mind. And my mind has been changed about the UK crop. You need to have some form of pricing. If you're selling stuff in the 170s for latest months in this coming season, versus where we started or where your budget was in the first place, i.e. 160 or possibly less, this is still really good. We are 30-odd pounds off the bottom and 14, 15 pounds off the top. So this has changed my mood on that. I don't think it's a time to completely throw the towel in, though. No, it's not. Cool. I think there's a moment that it will find its feet. I accept that selling into this market, there are really good values and good yields. Do you think if you're a harvest seller, so not someone who can store anything, do you think you'd tell people to sell it? Every harvest in recent years, it looks, at the moment you sell it, there's only probably a £10 carry through to the next May. So you'd say yes, because it costs you that much to pay someone for storage. But 
the benefit of having storage is you gain extra months and things happen in those months. Think what's happened since last harvest through to now. It's gone from 140 to 200. And that happened on the basis of it suddenly started raining in October, November and the crop looked bad and, and China started buying and didn't stop buying. 25 million tonnes later, the price had gone up. So I think the world's in a very, very precarious place. Mm-hmm. It's just you can't say, right, corn is really short and China's really short and it's going to go up in the long run regardless because maths simply say it will. Mm-hmm. That's the stance I would take if I had to take a bet over a long, long period mm-hmm. of time. Yeah. But if I want to make money as a trader in the next month, I'd sell it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. take a long-term view, I am still friendly to it. Yeah. I think it will go up again. But our job will be to speak to our farmers and say, it's turning around, there is a drought in the States, there is a problem somewhere, we're going to cash settle. The big debate for me is, do we take immediate cover in the UK, or do we take the cover against the crop that's actually short, which is probably going to be corn? Mm. Yeah, I don't really think, and I felt this for a while, it's not really a weak story. No. Wheat, on the whole, has been bearish, I think, for quite a while. Mm. There's been the drag influence of corn and soybeans, the battle for acres in the States. But there was something, and I missed this, but Informa came out with the suggestion of another 5 million acres of corn, well, which is pretty big. That takes a stock to use, potentially, from one of our listeners, as Informa, to about 16%, which is a 6% recovery. That's quite a big move. So you think USDA will buy into that to cover the hole they've still got in their Brazilian production? Because they're still saying 102 million tonnes of corn production, and the biggest Brazilian assessment is 95. So still... oh, it's, no, it's come out this morning at 91 from one of the Brazilian agro consultants. So USDA are 11 million tonnes out on that, but 4 million extra acres means how many mm. extra tonnes? I don't know. What's the yield of corn off the top of our heads? We don't know that, do we? No. no. Well, what a bunch of dimbos, eh? Me included. We don't really care. The point being, it's going to be a USDA cover-up job and that won't lead us anywhere, I don't think. But underlyingly, if corn has a problem with drought and heat, there will be a market that is very buoyant. It is only just in the ground. There's so much that can go wrong in it. Mm. You've got months left. Yeah. The message is reasonably clear on that. I think UK farmers should be very grateful for yield increase. And they should, having done... In our book, very little so far. We now should be pressing the button to get some more tonnage in the book as a starter. It's not a bad place to start, and it's about 20 or £30 above where most of the pools started, which is why you shouldn't join pools, everybody. Let's move on to farmers retiring, shall we? (coughs) Okay. When are you going to retire? If I'm paid... Oh, here we go. (laughs) If farmers are worth 50 grand to retire... Yeah. What's that make a grain trader worth to retire, then? Ooh, half a million? I think it depends on the grain trader. <laughs> Five million. Okay. Well, if they're going to be paid to retire, that means no more subsidy for the farm that's left behind. So if someone really doesn't like their son, they'll take the cash and say, bye-bye, lad. And they get taxed on it, don't they? That's what they suggested. Eh? I don't know. The detail well, I, I of mean, this policy uh, is so obscure and no one knows. Well, we had a meeting with a land agent and they said that it would instantly make people taxable to like 50% if they get the 100 grand. Right. And then the farm doesn't get a subsidy after that. And I think the way that some of the media is wording it when they say that it gives an opportunity for people to get into farming, it doesn't really give an average person the opportunity to get into farming. It gives no. a family member, likely, probably, from that farm to get into farming. Yeah, it's a very obscure policy. So straightforward for a generational change. This might be slightly lost in translation because the father, who's still involved in the business passes all responsibility to the son. Does that qualify him for a 100k payout then? 
Well, that's his 50 cow, I think. Or 50. Okay. But I don't know. Yeah, probably. The son's going to be not wanting to have anything to do with him because he's no longer got any subsidy going to the farm. But how do they police <coughs> that, though? The old boy who goes down and, you know, sets the boys off in the morning and be like... Well, we need we need notification. So if one of ours does it and they turn up one of our meetings, we have to kick him out because he's not allowed to be in there. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you're no longer a farmer and you've been paid off. You're not allowed in. How about that? Would that work? I think in reality, yeah, this policy is just going to die a death. There's just no thinking on it. Well, it probably plays well to the complete mongo who lives with concrete streets around him who thinks that it's as simple as that. Oh, get rid of old people and then and then we'll get some people who care about the land and animals, you mm. know, all that. Well, funnily enough, Joe made a good point because he did point out that did you notice how this policy came out at the same time as the Liz Truss Australian import policy? Ah. So it's a bit of a... You're like oh. a segment on a radio show, you are. Yeah. That is really smooth. Did you see that, everybody? That was cool. Okay, so the Australian deal. How is Liz and George <laughs> Eustace, Liz Trust, George Eustace, going to look anybody in the eye and sell the story about Australian beef from a 50,000 cow yeah. feedlot and never seen a blade of grass yeah. versus UK grass-fed beef? Ooh, it's going to be very interesting. Well, again, not to blow your trumpet or our trumpet, but we said that this would possibly happen six months ago in the podcast. We said that the government would get Brexit done. They've done that. And now they're going to open the doors. And I heard an Australian farm minister on Radio 4 this morning saying, well, you don't need to worry, you know, the imports won't be that much. Well, OK, why are you so interested in the UK trade deal then? So that was a complete load of rubbish. Look, you know, you worked in Australia, didn't you? Yeah, on a sheep station, yeah. Yeah. As you see, no grass. Well, you know, animal care, husbandry, you know, how close is the most local vet? Oh, God, yeah. Flying in. Yeah, so what happens to the animal that's in distress? Mm. Yeah, we used to run it over. What do you do with that um, that sheep standing by the edge of the cliff, Ben? (laughs) (laughs) Pushed it off. (laughs) Oh, I didn't use my hands, really, Ian. He's really happy. He's been waiting to say that <laughs> for years, hasn't he? He's just sitting there now, tickling himself. Poor old Flossie. Yeah. My mate Ridley used to say, just go for the ones with blue eyes. Anyway. <laughs> but in all seriousness, this, and not only that, we also hear that Liz Truss is trying to rush the deal through to get it done. And it's someone, as I read on another report today, well, that's basically opening yourselves up to get completely done over because you're showing how desperate you are to get a deal. Well, yeah, and that deal is going to have beef from those lots where they are not as healthy and they do have disease that's treated a lot more with antibiotics, etc. And the animal care, all of the things we have to jump through in this country, it will not meet those standards. That's an absolute fact. Sorry, just to say, we're probably going to lose our Australian listeners. No, no, the issue for this is not about them. All right, let's do a deal with someone and, and import their stuff, but let's not turn around and say to the general public that we are not in any way compromising us. It's the lying mm. that I cannot stand. And if this Trust and George Eustace are prepared to genuinely... I, mean, I might be completely wrong. I'm sorry. Certain beef won't be allowed in because it isn't treated the same as our animals. Therefore, there'll be a system where we know where these cows are from and therefore that beef will all be assured and it'll be perfect. Well, fine, if that's true, which it won't be. If that's mm. what they believe, then OK, fine. But there's no way it can be like that. It's beef ready to be shipped. Lots of it's going to come from a feedlot. Which, will anyone react? Does anyone care? Oh, God, the average person in the street who sees cheaper beef on the shelves? Probably not. Well, beef is to blame for most of the planet's troubles at the moment. 
if you listen to the way that carbon is measured. But you again, you're taking a beef production in a feedlot, fed yeah. by corn, fed by soya, shipped in, no grass, no growing crop to feed it, versus grass-fed, which is absorbing carbon in its process. Yeah. There isn't a fair measurement of a cow versus a cow, depending on where it lives, is there? There's a whole host of non-believers, if you like, about what we try to do in this country to meet the spec or expectations of the public. The expectations of the public, they are misled. They think cows live on grassy fields. They do in this country, largely. Yeah. In other countries, a lot they of other countries... They definitely don't. No, they are mass-produced, <clears throat> mistreated and much cheaper meat on the back of it. Mm. If we turn around and say, okay, you carry on do the same system, would there be many farmers who consciously bring their cows up in that way? I don't think this country would really have much of a stomach for it. It'd be a few old boys who'd have no heart, but most would say, no, I ain't doing that to my cows. Yeah. And this is what Liz and George are prepared to just pretend isn't happening. And now George talks about his grandfather who was a farmer who used to say, oh, I don't believe in subsidy. What a dick. Sorry, George. Let's you... see where this goes, but it sounds like they're trying to get this deal done in the next two weeks before the G7. I mean, why it needs a timeline is beyond me, but, well, you know, I guess they want the Aussie Prime Minister to turn up and say, "Ah, oh, look, Boris, here's your next big deal. So, on all fronts, this is being negotiated and handled badly. Yeah, and dishonestly, in <clears> my view. I mean, to take any crumb of comfort, I guess the UK farmer simply has to look at the UK fishermen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what a marvellous deal that well, was. Yeah, their industry's a mess, and that's all going horribly wrong as well. Do you think we'll get old George on here for a podcast interview? Oh, not after you called him that name. <laughs> well, he can say, no, I'm not. I go, yes, you are. No, you're not. But no, I mean, the level of debate probably isn't quite as good as, as the Radio 4. I'll ask him a question, he'll talk about something completely different anyway, which is what they do. Does no. that irritate anyone? Well, yeah, it must yeah. irritate everybody. Every politician's asked a question. They talk about something completely different. I think the interview should be, stop, 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 stop. He's talking about something else. Jerry Paxman did it, didn't he, with that guy? He asked the same <laughs> question 39 yeah. times. Yeah. I'd do that. I'd keep asking the same question. When are you going to answer your question? Oh, that makes me cross. Along with a lot of other things being an old git. Right, what else can we talk about? What else is happening? Oilseed rape. Yeah. That's exciting, Ian. Was. No, still is, but it's come off the bubble a bit. Why? Well, maybe a sentiment to bigger crops. There was palm oil was taking a bit of beating. I think that may be down to some of the Indian demand has come lower for palm. Don't get me wrong, I don't, a bit like the wheat, I don't think it's all over, but I think short-term sentiment's kind of running out of steam a bit. Mm-hmm. So um, there are, and pleasingly, from how I felt about a month ago, the crop is bigger. In Norfolk, there's some really good-looking mm-hmm. crops, aren't there? There are still doubters. I mean, I'm kind of hoping that there's some four-tonne crops out there now. Back what? to what we used to be. Well, those fields in Skyton look good to me. If I drive oh, past some are cracking, really good. Yeah. It has come back a bit, again, going back to the beauty of the strategy we've got, it's min price management with the options. So actually, it's not really that relevant to what we've got going because we're looking at the longer-term picture of a market that could be rampantly bullish in the next six, eight months. I know the last subject we should discuss, which is inflation. Oh, yeah. That has gripped the markets this week. What, food inflation or everything inflation? Concrete <clears throat> well, this and steel is everything inflation. inflation, but I think it will come through to food quite dramatically. We committed to building a couple more bins at Yairgrain this last month, and the price of the steel had gone up by 40%. I am not surprised. Everything has gone up in price massively. Yeah, and so building storage has suddenly gone up in value. That's important because lots of farmers recently have been building their own sheds. I think that might slow down a bit on the basis of cost. 
Yeah, it makes central storage look cheap again. Well, we had some central storage sold. There's someone retired from Aylsham and that actually sold this morning. And in comparison to what they paid for it, the system here was the proper cooperative. You paid money as a loan and then after 12 years you got the money back. So you technically got the money back anyway. But they sold it for four times what they originally invested in it. Aylsham's done the job in a very conservative manner and hasn't got any borrowings and is really quite a wealthy little company. So it's a bit unique in the context because some cooperative stores members find it a bit harder to get rid of their space, he said, with real diplomacy. Do you like that? That was very good of you. Yeah, I've done some unusual. Are you feeling okay? <laughs> That's brilliant. You didn't name them at all. No, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. Well, it isn't just one, is it? Oh, anyway, <laughs> so we've got time for a beer, boys. Who's going to get the beers out? There's some in the box behind me, and they're not the nicest ones because everyone's okay. picked the nice ones I'll out. I'll get the glasses. Okay, who's got the opener? Oh, let's not ask Ian. I'll get the opener. Right, I have got Avatar, a golden tropical brew from the Y Valley Brewery, which is the last of Andrew Vundell's box of beers that he gave us. So this is your final mention, Andrew, until you send the next box. I've got Dorothy Goodbodies Glorious IPA, and I think Ian would appreciate the picture. There we go. Like one of the image on the front of one of the old bombers, isn't it? Yep, you know. she looks like a bomber. Right. We're going to get the fruity one, Webby, and they're going to have the more normal one with Gloria. Yeah. Ample Gloria on it. Okay, looks good. You... These have all been good beers. Yep. Can you read, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> that was very unfair. His tongue sticks out. He's still, he happy. He's still happy about the sheep comment. Anyway, I'll read it. Avatar is a welcome taste of brightness and optimism. Its golden colour is achieved by a cleverly constructed base of extra pale Maris Otter and Munich malts. Got some Deutschland in here. While Azakar and Idaho Seven Hops combine to create... A mouth-watering mosaic of citrus and tropical flavours. Oh, that'll do. Was that boring? Yeah. Hang on, I haven't said what it was. It is 5.2%. Right. Webby, how does it taste? Yeah, it's good. Slightly tropical, but good, yeah. Is there mango in there? No. There is something sweet in it. It's quite sweet. Munich, not mango. Let's look at the glorious IPA, Dorothy Goodbody. It's all right. It's it's fruity, isn't it? It's like another one of those, let's chuck some fruit in a good beer. Well-balanced biscuit and caramel base... And five hop varieties. And actually, I really like this, Josh. Yeah, I mean, it smells good. That is a very nice 6%. You're not going to have a session on those. Mm. Yeah, that is nice. God as well. (laughs) Do you think Ben would cut his grass in a straight line if he drank that? Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) My lawn is glorious. And I admit the lines are a bit wobbly. Yeah, that is good. Josh and I popped in there last night. We popped in to find Ben cutting the grass, and we just like, but you know how you farmer boys have sat and have as you in straight lines. But we were. Did you not cut a straight line? Well, no, there was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> were there kinks in it, really? Well, there was around the pole and around it, yeah. Oh, dear. That's really upsetting. <laughs> I did have to cut around the zip line. It did, yeah. That it was straight down the middle. It was fine. So Andrew went. and Josh turned up, drank my beer, and then left. <clears throat> yeah. Nice, wasn't it? It was very pleasant. A bit out of the way, Serlingham. If anyone knows where Serlingham is, it's a bit of a journey to get there. So we were in the vicinity, having called on a farm. So we thought, we'll call on Ben. So we did. And examined the flood area, which hasn't flooded yet. And then, you know, he's cutting the grass still in a reasonably straight line. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. One of his neighbours has taken a hedge down. Ben said it was they took the hedge down, but I think he took the hedge down. Spy on them. It's very controversial. (laughs) Anyway, no, these are good beers. All right, change the subject. Okay, yep, they are good beers. So we're all happy. We're we're all good. Yeah. Good to see the year out. Happy wedding anniversary, Andrew. Yeah. How many years? 17. And what's that? Is that wood? Diamond? No. 
kick in the head. Well, if you count both my marriages, I've now done. <laughs> oh dear. I think I've done, I've done 29, I think. Well, she's 17. Lovely Tess, who's put up with it all of the last 17. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably something like that. She got me a card this morning, and I knew it was the wedding anniversary, and she's also booked an, a night away in a pub. Lovely. That, is, that will be lovely. Yeah. Are you going to tell everyone what you did this morning, though, with your, um, your little romantic gesture? What, picking wildflowers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd been given a card, and she's said, I booked a night away. And I said, do you know what? I discussed this last night with Josh in the pub <laughs> about how I hadn't got any flowers or anything. And there I was confronted with a card, which is, like, you know, unusual. So I went and I picked a load of flowers, which there is an abundance of at the moment. So I'm now feeling guilty about picking up, but I didn't pick any really rare ones. You said you sort of discussed it with Josh, but did Josh need to prompt you, or did Josh prompt the conversation? <laughs> anyway with that everybody have a lovely week and we look forward to being back next week thank you thank you thank you thanks for listening make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on twitter we are at dewing grain call dewing grain on 01263 731550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.